the economy today is unsustainable. Every city, every state, every local government, every federal government in every country is massively in debt. Shit, I'm massively in debt. I'm massively in debt. We're all <laughs> massively in debt. Ladies and gentlemen, we And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of BOA Audio Season 6. Hope you all are having a great holiday season so far. We have got a fantastic episode of the program on tap for you here this week, so let's dive right in. Our guest this week is financial analyst Bix Weir, and he's joining BOA Audio for his first ever interview concerning the Road to Ruta conspiracy theory that he has been researching for the last three years. At the risk of spoiling the whole conversation for you, I'll just sort of give you a little look at the road to Ruta theory, and it suggests that there are not only sinister factions behind the scenes of the financial institutions, but also benevolent factions working on behalf of the best interests of all of us. And there's been sort of a quiet war being waged between these two factions over the last 40 years or so. That's sort of the general idea of the road to Ruta, but trust me, it is much, much more than just that. As such, here in the conversation, Bix is going to detail exactly what the road to Ruta entails, how he discovered it, what the road to Ruta actually means, because it's certainly a very intriguing name for a conspiracy theory. He'll also tell us who the players are behind it and provide a timeline for events as they may unfold. In addition to that, over the course of the conversation, we're also going to discuss the economy in general, the inherent problems with a fiat money system, the debate over returning to a gold standard, the story of Yamashita's gold, how silver fits into this whole equation, and what people should be doing to prepare for the potential collapse of the economy. In light of all these topics, hopefully your eyes have not glossed over at the prospect of another financial-themed edition of the program. For the folks out there who are, like me, just sort of tangentially following this economic situation, trust me, we definitely tailored this interview for both camps. The lay people, of which I am certainly a part of, and the hardcore students of the economy. So there's plenty of information in there for everybody and Having listened to it again during the editing process, I think you'll really find the give and take between Bix and I to be quite entertaining as you can kind of hear the wheels turning and me putting the pieces into place as Bix spells out the road to Ruta theory and what it all means. Altogether, really, it is an educational, entertaining, and somewhat terrifying edition of the program that will certainly have you watching the mainstream financial news with a more jaundiced eye. 
as Bix Weir takes us down the road to Ruta. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Bix Weir, allow me to provide you with a little background on him. Bix Weir is a freelance author and analyst dedicated to exposing the long-term manipulation of the gold and silver markets. He is the creator of the Road to Ruta Theory and founder of the website RoadToRuta.com. Bix has worked closely with the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, GATA, helping to pull the curtain away from the cabal of international bankers that have taken control of our free market system. His website, as noted, is RoadToRuta.com. All one word, let me spell it out for you, Road to Ruta. R-O-O-T-A dot com. Check it out. With all that said, and without any further ado, let's get down to business here and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on November 9th, 2010. Bix Weir, talking about the road to Ruta financial conspiracy theory on BOA Audio Season 6. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 6. And we have got a very cool edition of the program on tap for you here this week. Our guest is giving his first interview ever with regards to his latest research. He is Bix Weir. He's the man behind the Road to Ruta theory. And this is a surprisingly positive conspiracy theory, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to get him on the program so bad once I discovered his research, because so many people in the conspiracy theory realm are pretty much just telling you that we're, we're shit out of luck, which, I mean, come on, we already know that. So what's the conspiracy? But Bix Weir has a really interesting take on what's going on right now with the financial situation, and he postulates that things are looking better than we think. And just to sort of give you a thumbnail look at what the road to Ruta theory is before we dive into the conversation, the road to Ruta theory, and that's Ruta spelled R-O-O-T-A, and he'll explain all that as we get into the interview. The road to Ruta theory postulates that there's a group of people in the United States as well as around the world that are working to remove and destroy the financial banking powers that have secretly controlled all aspects of our lives. The original idea of this group sprang from the mind of Alan Greenspan and involved rigging the markets with computer programs that he had invented in the 1960s, and we are currently in the final phase of this plan, which entails destroying the fiat monetary system and replacing it with a gold-backed currency. So that's some remarkable stuff right there, and we're going to dig into it big time here with our guest this week, Bix Weir. Welcome to the program, Bix. Thank you for choosing BOA Audio as the first place you've come on to discuss this groundbreaking research. Hey, Tim, uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, I'm, I'm real excited about talking about all this. Absolutely, for sure. I'm excited as well. Now, let's start out, obviously, with, you know, who is Bix Weir? What's your bio? What's your background? And how did you stumble into or discover what do you think is the road to Ruta? Well, I've been uh, working in the finance industry for about 25 years now, and uh, a little different slant on it. I've been basically my job in finance is to look at assets and determine what future values are. So, for example, if we're leasing a, uh, a large piece of equipment, like a piece of mining equipment, my job would say, okay, 10 years down the line, this piece of equipment is going to be worth, you know, half a million dollars or whatever I thought that value of that used asset was. Yeah. 
So a lot of my training and research is in not looking necessarily at the present, but looking at the future and seeing what type of trends will tend to sway the asset values and things like that, which kind of got me into, okay, what what's going on in the future? What's going on with uh, mining equipment and the value of commodities and the value of the dollar? And uh, a lot of my research went into the value of the dollar and which automatically kind of steers you to gold and the gold markets. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. That seems to be a big part of all this here. So I guess I, I, I sort of spelled out the road to root a theory, the thumbnail of it, but why don't you tell us, you know, what exactly is the road to root a theory? You know, uh, extrapolate more on that and obviously tell us how, you know, you first came to, to find out about this or, you know, put it all together, I guess you could say. Sure. Well, in my early days of, of researching gold, one of the first places I went was uh, GATA, which is the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. Mm-hmm. I worked a lot with Bill Murphy over there at GATA on his website, uh, the Le Metropoli Cafe, and did a lot of writing for them. And, and what I was trying to do was trying to get to the, the guts of what was going on in the in the gold market, because every time something happened in the in the outside market, gold seemed to react in an opposite direction. For example, if there's a war, normally gold would go up, but we saw gold going down. If they decided to print more money, normally gold would go up, but it kept going down as soon as the announcement happened. So we knew the early days of GATA, we knew that there was somebody in there rigging the markets. You know, we in the beginning thought it was the bullion banks, the J.P. Morgan's, the Goldman Sachs's, and then the more we got in touch with what was really going on and put the pieces together, we started finding out it's got to do with the Federal Reserve, it's got to do with the Treasury, and it's got to do a lot with people in Congress. So, you know, in the early days, it was a lot of digging and searching and rooting around, especially the, the Federal Reserve archives, which they have... Uh, they have an online archive where you can go in and search their database going back 40, 50 years. And I would put in gold as my search word and get you know hundreds of documents about gold. Yeah. Most of it, the most boring stuff you ever saw in your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even for a gold bug like me, it wasn't it wasn't that exciting. But what did strike me as odd was one day I was searching around the Federal Reserve Boston website. Mm-hmm. And they have a a portion of their sites that that's dedicated to just educational resources. Yeah, it's called Economic Education Publications, and in that they have uh, little pamphlets that they hand out a lot about like closing of banks, uh, you know, what was money in the early days of America, things like that. But one day in early 2007, they posted three kind of comic book type of pamphlets. It struck me right away, what are these things? Why is the Federal Reserve publishing a comic book? Yeah, that's strange. It was really weird. And not only that, but on the site where they they kind of show the cover of all their publications, all three of these comic books had big red exclamation points after them. Hmm. And they had literally just been posted because I'd been on that site a few days earlier and this was, they were posted on January 1st, 2007. So I opened up the first one, which was called uh, Wishes and Rainbows. And it's a really odd comic about 
this little girl and this little boy, the little girl's name is Ruta, R-O-O-T-A, the little boy's name is Rocky, and they live in this world where there's no color. It's very bland, and it, it's basically, they take you through the town, and there's a bunch of little people who live in a world of no color. And above, and this is all underground, and above ground, there's these big people, they call them. And these big people are these scary people who nobody wants to talk to, nobody has any access to. Yeah. And through, I know this is sounding bizarre, but keep working with me. Oh, yeah, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to figure out exactly what the metaphor is as we go along. So keep Exactly. So was I. I'm like, why would the Federal Reserve be publishing a, a really odd comic like this? So the more I read it, the more I learned it was about, it was about scarcity. And what happens in this comic is, Ruta, the little girl, finds a colored flower, and it's the most coveted thing in the whole land because their land is full of just grays and blacks, black and white. So she finds this colored flower, and she brings it to her grandmother, who always heard about the land of colored flowers and always wanted to see it, and then all of a sudden this flower, everybody wants it. Yeah. And she brings it to the mayor, and he he says, well, let's put it in the middle of the town square so everybody can see it. And it's this whole story about scarcity and how many people wanted that colored flower, but there wasn't enough colored flowers, and how could Ruta go out and find more colored flowers. And in the whole time, I was thinking, what has this got to do with the Federal Reserve Bank? Exactly, yeah. And then I opened the next little uh, publication, which is called The Road to Ruta, A Teacher's Guide. Hmm. And in that publication, it relates the story of of these kids living in a non-colored world, all of a sudden introducing color. It relates that to scarcity and how things we want in life are more valuable if they're more scarce. And then it even relates it to the dollar. It starts talking about the the tulip mania back in the early or the late 1800s in uh, in Europe, where they coveted tulip bulbs. Yeah, it's it the first basic bubble that popped. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Okay. And all this time, I'm thinking, well, what does this all mean? How does this all relate to money? And then they have in the Road to Ruta Teacher's Guide, it talks about. If you wanted to use a colored flower as money, how valuable would it be? What happens if they introduce more colored flowers? And, I mean, basically, it's a it's an analogy towards the dollar being backed by something and the dollar being fiat, being unbacked. That was that was the, the start of it all. And it took, it took me a while to get my head around, but what does that really mean? Until I looked at some of the, the questions they asked, in this guidebook, questions like, what would happen if all of a sudden the country that Ruta lived in stopped trading with everybody else? What would happen if all of a sudden products that were made in other places couldn't be made in the country where Ruta lived? To me, it started thinking, okay, if they're going to relate this to the United States, what does it mean? So that's kind of where it all started. Where I took it from there is I looked at who was it that was writing this, these comics. Yeah. It, w- it was written originally by a woman named Deborah Carpenter Beck. 
And it was written as a short story for the Federal Reserve. And then it was adapted by this guy named Stephen DuVoe. And Stephen DuVoe, after doing a bunch of research on him, actually actually worked at the Federal Reserve Bank Boston for eight or nine years during the 70s and early 80s. What he is, is he is an expert in project implementation. And he's an expert in computers. So I'm like, oh, well, what does this guy have to do with, you know, this story? And the more I dug into it, it turns out that Stephen DeVoe worked for the Federal Reserve Bank, and I assume he worked in the computer division because to be an expert in computers in the 70s, you know, yeah. you would use that because there weren't many computer experts in the 70s. Exactly, yeah. From there, he went on to Citibank to implement, for one year, to implement their computer programs. And then he went right to Fidelity to implement their computer programs, and then he went to IBM, a division of IBM, to set up some of their computer programs. And I'm like, this guy is is pretty well connected. And his resume, which I found somewhere on the internet, never never talked about him working at the Federal Reserve. That was kind of his secret. His secret is that he worked at the Federal Reserve, but nobody knew about it. Interesting, interesting. And what's he making this comic book for? It doesn't even... That's, that's where it gets you know into more and more research. Who are these... Who are these people? What does Ruta mean? Now, Ruta, R-O-O-T-A, I did internet searches. I'm like, what is that? What is that? Ruta is, is actually the basic foundation of very early computer programmers. It's, it stands for root A. It's the root of the financial computing that was invented in the early 70s. And actually, the guy who invented, most people don't know this, the guy who invented financial computing was none other than Alan Greenspan. Hmm. He, in the early, in the 60s and 70s, was basically a computer geek. He was an economist who loved to run computer programs. This is back at the beginning of computers. So that's kind of the, the link I got back to Greenspan, the root A. And then in the comic, if you read the comic Wishes and Rainbows, the little girl Ruta goes to her goes to her grandmother, and there's a, there's a scene in there where she talks about to her grandma how she wants to bring colors into the colorless land, and all the words in that in that one section are underlined. She says, "Why can't I bring colors?" And the grandmother says, "Because the people who live in Colorland are very big, and they blow that up." and might accidentally step on any pebble person who visits. It's really bizarre, but they underline all these inferences to the people who run the financial system behind the scenes. And when I link it all together, it all points towards Ruta talking to her grandmother about bringing colors back into her life or bringing a gold back system into America. Interesting. Okay. And and obviously it sounds like a stretch right now. But the all the things that have followed have supported that original theory. The for example, the new hundred dollar bill. The new hundred dollar bill is filled with gold references. It you know, it's the hundred that they just announced. Yeah. That supposedly is gonna come out in February, although they said they they've you know, they're gonna delay it. 
that $100 bill, if you look at it, on the left side is just a, you know, a regular greenback. On the right side is full of gold inferences, including a gold Liberty Bell, a gold fountain pen, a gold 100, the, the words that we reserve the right to overthrow our government. All these things are on the new $100 bill that they've literally been holding back for two or three years. Okay, so so essentially what you're saying is that the faction, I guess you could say, behind the scenes that's trying to crash the economy so we can switch away from fiat money in order to back to a gold-backed standard. Kind of. Kind of. We're at that point now where they want to crash it. Originally, the, the reason they did it in the very beginning was there was two economic theories that won Nobel Prizes in the 60s about asset allocation. What's the best way to allocate assets for a population? Yeah. And they were called the, the road to the golden age, and the other one was the, the golden rule theory. And both of those said that the best way to go back from, a, from an unbacked currency to a, a backed currency is to use that fiat money to its fullest. Print as much money as you possibly can, build as many roads, build as many houses as you can until that currency implodes. Because there's obvious advantages to creating fiat money if you have control of it. You can build everything you want. There's nothing limiting you except the amount of fiat dollars you print. All right, okay, I'm starting to... It's starting to come together here a little bit for me. Okay, so so you're saying is that the plan all along is to implode the money in a sense? It, it was, and that's what Stephen Duvo brought to the table in his his theory is project management and running that project out for as long as possible with the most benefits as possible. He's written best selling books on it, and that was the idea back in you know '71 when Nixon went off the gold standard. Everybody thought, well. There's no way fiat money could last because who in their right mind would accept a piece of paper? Yeah. And, you know, every single unbacked currency has crashed. You know, the longest, I think, was the Mississippi uh, land grants back in the late 1800s. It lasted 17 years. Well, this was this has lasted since, what, 71? Yeah, so about 40, almost 40 years. Exactly. But the only reason, the only reason this has worked is because of Alan Greenspan's programs computer rigging programs that are still running today and run out of the Fed out in New York, along with, you know, some of the, the bullion banks, those programs that rigged the markets. So there literally is a little man behind the curtain pulling the levers of, of all our markets today. To to sort of tie this into to I guess you could say generalized conspiracy theory, the the, the big idea behind all that is that the you know, that the big bankers and the banksters and stuff are you know, they're obviously in control of, of the world, essentially, because they control the money. Right. I presume, based on what you're saying here at the Road to Ruta website and everything else, is that th that Greenspan and this DeVoe guy and all the people who are, are you know, a part of the Road to Ruta faction, that they're they're sort of acting independently of, of the big big men upstairs, I guess you'd say, uh, at the Fed. Is that accurate? Or is well, the Fed in on this? It, it, what happened was... Somewhere along the way, probably in the later Reagan years, the bad guys, let's call them, yeah. you know, the, the, the banksters, the Illuminati, whatever you want to call them, got a hold and control of the market rigging systems. Okay. And it, it probably happened 
right at the end of Reagan's time, because in the beginning, Reagan wanted to go right to a gold standard right away. At the, at the end, you know, he was mentally incapacitated by the time he left office, and then you had Bush Sr. taking over. Yeah. And he was all over the market rigging. He was, you know, had been involved with all the, the gold uh, from Yamashita's gold and things like that. And basically what happened was the good guys lost control. And then what has happened since, ever since 9-11, which is also part of of the Wishes and Rainbows uh, comic, ever since 9-11, the good guys said, that's enough of this. We're going to give these guys enough rope so they can hang themselves. Financial leeway. Take all the rules away. And we know they're gonna. We know they're gonna hang themselves. That was that was why Greenspan didn't ever say, "I want more regulation." He knew that as much rope as he gave these people, they would take it and abuse it, and that's where we are now. And they have literally hung themselves. And we're on the verge, you think, of the the implosion that would that would, that would force us back to a gold standard. Yeah. The the basically we tried to do it in 2008. The good guys tried to do it, and we came close. It was, you know, we were on the brink. That's when Paulson went to Congress and said, we need $700 billion. And that's, that's basically, it bought them two years. But that two years is up, and right now, you can see it everywhere that all the regulators are acting like regulators finally. Because all this time before, those regulators had kind of a dual purpose. One was to sort of regulate the markets, but two was to run cover for the official manipulation. The official rigging of the gold market and the currency markets and the silver market so that you can run that, that fiat currency out as long as you can to get the most benefit out of it. Hmm. Now, theoretically, the bad guys, if you will, I guess you could say, as you like to call them, they, you know, they're pretty smart. Wouldn't they know uh, what Greenspan and these guys are doing and how come they haven't tried to, like, put a stop to it, if they even can, I guess, because it sounds like fiat backed currencies is a doomed proposition in the first place. Yeah. The the interesting thing is in the beginning the the good guys, the original good guys, Greenspan, Stephen Duvaux, uh, I, I write about a couple others in my uh, in on my website. Ron Paul got involved, Barney Frank, believe it or not, got involved back when in the early Reagan days. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, they were very, very secretive, incredibly secretive, because they knew, you know, for example, you know, it's a, it might be a conspiracy theory, but Kennedy was most likely killed by the bankers or a faction of the bankers. Yeah, for introducing uh, the American currency, the separate. Well, yeah, trying currency. to get us back onto a silver standard, and you know, he was going to introduce new silver dollars, new silver-backed currency. So he was killed, and. All of a sudden, all the good guys kind of went into hiding. And Alan Greenspan, back in the '60s, if you remember, he was the mass—he was the biggest gold bug you ever met in your life. And then in 1973 or '74, Gerald Ford appointed him the head of the CEA, the the Council of Economic Advisors. Yeah. That's when he implemented his computer programs to rig the markets so that the fiat currency can continue. Interesting. And, and the person who got him in there was Arthur Burns, who was the Fed chair at the time. And that's kind of where the beginning of my research was in, in the Fed archives, looking at all the, the Fed meetings and, and minutes from the late 60s and early 70s. Arthur Burns wanted to go back on the gold standard, 
but there were kind of embedded bad guys in the Federal Reserve. You know, the Federal Reserve isn't all bad. There's thousands of people who work for the Federal Reserve. Ma- vast majority of them are good people. Oh, yeah. There are there are a few controllers, there have been over the years, that secretly work for either the Rothschilds or the Rockefellers or whoever, whoever it is that is behind the scenes. Yeah, the Illuminati-ish. Yeah. And Arthur Burns was trying to kick them out, and you can read the old meeting, the minutes of those meetings, and he was livid. But he was the the head of the Fed at the time, and he was also Greenspan's mentor. So he got Greenspan in to the head of the CEA for for Gerald Ford, and that's when he started implementing the computer programs with Stephen Duvaux to run the basically run the markets. And then in 1997. When Greenspan was elected head of the Fed, that's when they tried to crash the system the first time, and that's when you had the uh, the banking, the first banking scandal at the end of the eighties. Oh, the uh, savings and loan. The savings and loan scandal. That was Greenspan trying to crash the market. He didn't have enough backing. He didn't have enough people. He didn't have a buy-in of the citizenry of the United States. Kind of like what happened in two thousand eight. In two thousand eight, we were all kind of you know. I wasn't, but a lot of people were wandering around not knowing what was going on. Yeah, it was a very confusing time because they didn't really explain what exactly was happening. Yeah, Exactly. But look what's happened in the last two years. There's been a massive education program for the, the common people of the United States. You can walk down the street now and people will tell you about quantitative easing or printing money or you know how bad the Fed is, how bad it is to print money or bailouts. They'll tell you how bad that stuff is. Yeah, you're starting to see recognition from average average people talking about how, you know, they're printing the money out of thin air and, and pretty much exposing the fiat system when normally uh, that was something that was really confined to economists and people in the esoteric. So it's, it's certainly yeah. bursting into the mainstream for sure. And, and, and that wasn't even that long ago. I mean, five years ago, I'd talk about this stuff with people and they'd say, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. You know? I, the dollar will never go away and things like that. And now people are starting to question that. Now, to jump back a little bit, okay, so they have this, this plan here under underway. Why would they print this comic book up on the website? I'm sure it's sort of an obscure website in a way um, that, you know, it, it, it's not like it was on CNN or something like that. But, but <laughs> why, would they, why would they even float that, that sort of hint out there? It, it, it's an excellent question, and, and it, these comics are actually the second edition. The first edition of Wishes and Rainbows and The Road to Ruta was released by the Fed in 1981 when they were they had the Gold Commission that was meeting to, to talk about. It's back when gold hit 800 bucks and, and inflation was going through the roof, and they were they were meeting. They had a huge meeting. It went on for a year. And there's a Gold Commission report that came out. This cartoon came out that that very time when they were talking about returning to a gold standard in 1981. And now, literally, they they updated it. They put new graphics on it. But word for word, it is exactly the same. They released it in 2007, just when they were literally going to try to get back onto a gold standard. And I don't know if your, your listeners follow Ben Fulford or, or anything like that, but it was it was July of 2007 that Ben Fulford met with David Rockefeller and said, it's time for your, the bad guys to stand down. 
we've got, you know, whatever he said, 10,000 ninjas that'll kill you if, unless they, unless you stand down, which is, you can find that on the, on the internet. But, you know, just watching Ben Fulford interview David Rockefeller with a big orange microphone will make you laugh. <laughs> just because, the thought of I it. Mean, David Rockefeller doesn't even give interviews, much less to some bizarre guy in a, in a little hotel room in Japan. Now, I've got a pretty good idea of, of sort of what you've laid out for us here. And bear with me, because I'm not, you know, as, as I'm sure you know, because you're, you know, you're knee-deep in or neck-deep in the economics, that this is certainly sort of a very esoteric art form, for lack of a better term. So uh, I'll, I'm trying to keep it as, you know, mainstreamized or, or, or down-to-earth and understandable for myself and for the listeners, obviously. It, it's truthfully, even even senior economic guys I talk to about this don't quite get it. And it's, it's, it is hard to understand until you kind of get the grasp. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm feeling I'm starting to get a grasp on this. So, so essentially what you're saying is, you know, they got rid of the gold standard in 71, then it was a pure fiat system, and these good guys behind the scenes realized that that was never going to last. So they sort of got things set up via computer programs to eventually push us back into a gold-backed system. Correct. Unbeknownst to the bad guys who are essentially... everybody, basically. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, come on, everybody. Most <laughs> most people are pretty are too consumed with Lady Gaga to, to worry about <laughs> the economy. So unbeknownst to the bad guys who, what, who want to pretty much just can continue using the fiat system as long as possible to take advantage of, of you know, the ignorance of the American people and the, and the global population. Well, no, it was, it, was, it was an original idea of the good guys. It was the original idea of Alan Greenspan, and, you know, he, he was working with, you know, I, even Ron Paul in the early days. And the idea was, <clears throat> based on these economic theories from the 60s, to run the fiat money system to get full advantage of it. And full advantage means as long as you can, profiting as much as you can from it until it runs out. And that's kind of where we are now. Okay. That is, that's why you've heard of, you know, the QE2, the 600 billion that, that Green, or uh, Bernanke is creating out of thin air. And all these programs that Obama and the Democrats have been throwing forward and, and all the money spent and, and the, the Reagan Star Wars, all that is, the idea was we're going to ruin the dollar to get us back to a gold standard. We're going to use all this money and build roads and buildings and houses, and then we're going to crash the system, and everybody gets to keep their house, and we go back to gold standard. Okay, that's the good guys' plan. Now, what what contrast that was the good guys' plan? Right? What 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 do the bad guys want then? Well, the bad guys, if if you remember, back in the early seventies, basically. There was kind of a coup in America. The bad guys has pretty much taken over Congress and, and the Federal Reserve, and basically they were running the country. Yeah. And in order to do this, the good guys had to do it in secret, in small committees, and things like that. What the bad guys wanted, I believe, and you know this is backed up by a lot of the conspiracy guys, is to decrease the size of the population. Okay. They, they were going to introduce vac- uh, diseases and natural disasters and all this stuff. That was their way. That was their end game. 
and even set off a couple EMPs, the electromagnetic pulses. Yeah. If you heard about that, but you know those two satellites that were there's there've been two satellites that were taken out of commission by rockets. One was above China and one was above the US. You know, my contention is I think those were the EMPs that the bad guys had planned to set off and and the good guy said, you know, get these out of here, we're not going to do that. And then essentially lower the population and then form a, a global government, probably. Exactly, yeah. You know, that, that gets back into all the, the one world government and, and all that stuff that, you know, any conspiracy guy can find on the Internet. Okay. What, what this is really is it's the conspiracy behind the conspiracy. Interesting. All right. You're saying the road to Ruta is the conspiracy behind The road the to Ruta is. You know, for years, my, even my friends at GATA, and GATA is pretty much a conspiracy type of organization. You know, they, they're now mainstream conspiracy because a lot of what they said about gold market rigging and silver market rigging is being proved. And there's actual documents and data and whistleblowers and all that. This, this is, is one step beyond that. Now, what about the idea that that they want the dollar to crash so that they can then introduce some new form of the dollar, some new form of fiat money that would be like the Amero or something like that? That's, yeah, that was two years ago. That was the plan. That for some, the, the diehard you know bad guys, that's still the plan. That's what they want. So everybody, but, the good guys and the bad guys want the <laughs> want the yeah, want to crash the economy. They they both want to crash the economy. Here's the reason: the economy today is unsustainable. Yeah. Every city, every state, every local government, every federal government in every country is massively in debt. Shit, I'm massively in debt. I'm massively in debt. We're all <laughs> massively in debt. And the way money works is you have to keep creating more money just to pay interest on the money that you already created. So it's unsustainable. Now, what happens if there is, for example, take a bank, any bank, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, they're both knee-deep in derivatives. J.P. Morgan has over $100 trillion in derivatives. Bank of America has $50 trillion. Either one of those banks go down, and it would wipe out every single bank in the world. You would, you would wake up one day, you'd go to your bank, and they wouldn't be open. But the, the good thing about wiping out banks is you not only wipe out you know, savings accounts, checkings accounts, 401k, you also wipe out debt. Exactly. So if, if the banks are gone, yeah, you lose your, your savings. You lose your checking. You lose your 401k. You lose your stock holdings. You lose everything. But every single state, local government, every single person would get to start fresh. They're calling it a debt jubilee. Yeah, I've heard. Now I've heard about that. But but what's to say that that okay? So everybody wants you know the good guys and the bad guys want the economy to crash. What's to say that the bad guys aren't going to win here and we're not going to go to a gold standard? We're going to go to uh, you know the a fiat Amero. That's that's going to depend on us. That's going to that's what these last two years of of training the American public has been all about. Okay. People are ready to stand up now. They weren't ready two years ago. They're ready to stand up and say, no more bankers, no more bailouts. They store all our money. When these banks crash, everybody will be looking at each other going, what in the world is going on? And they will put the blame directly on the bankers, on the military-industrial complex, on all those guys 
And the good thing about the United States, and Ron Paul talks about this already, is that we have history in this area. We have a history of leaving England's control and starting fresh. We have a constitution. This is starting to come together now, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting more invested here in this, <laughs> in this, no pun intended, in this, uh, in this theory, in this conversation. So it really, there's no guarantee that, that the good guys are going to win this thing. No, not at all. And it, truthfully, it will, it will be up to the people, to the people of America. All that Tea Party stuff, there's a reason for that. It's, it's getting people back to our constitution, to our, our sovereign rights as a nation. And once this goes down, which I believe will be in the next few weeks, so I'm hoping this interview will actually get aired. But once this happens and the first bank goes down and then all the follow-on banks go down, the United States, and I'm just talking the United States right now, is going to stand up and said, say, we're going to take care of our own country. We're going to pull every troop out of every country. We're going to stop trading because, you know, when we default on the dollar, basically, no one's going to like us very much. <laughs> yeah. Right? China will be fine because, you know, all our multinational companies built factories over there. They'll just shut their borders. They have plenty of customers. The only thing they needed was our paper fiat dollars, and, you know, they know better than we do that they're worthless. So they'll just take our factories and call it even. And we'll bring all our manufacturing back home. We'll have plenty to do because, you know, we import almost everything. We're going to have to build build up from scratch. We'll stick our, our troops on the borders. Now, what do you say to people that say, you know, Bex, this is quite a theory. It's almost too good to be true. It's almost it's unbelievable in a way. It's uh, Things can't turn out that good for us. It's going to be, you know, the dollar's going to crash. People are going to go crazy, start killing each other and hoarding water. Well, yeah, it, it, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be, you know, you're going to wake up one day and, you know, the dollar crash, look, we have a new gold currency and they're going to allocate it. You know, my theory is, is what they do in the in the comics. They allocate flowers according to age. And Alan Greenspan back in the 70s was in charge of Social Security. He was in charge of fixing it. So what they'll do is when all money is gone, they'll reallocate the new money according to Social Security. How much have you paid in? And you'll get that. You know, A couple hundred bucks might not seem like a lot when there's a zillion fiat dollars out there, but when everybody has a couple hundred bucks, you're pretty much rich. You're as rich as everybody else. That's true. That's for sure. Now, you said everything's kind of come, kind of come into line, I guess you could say, with the road to root of theory since you first uncovered it uh, a few years ago. So I guess take me through a little bit of how you see that having played out and then how you see it playing out going forward. Sure. Well, the, the theory, my theory, has been, you know, I developed it since, since the comics came out in 2007. Um, it, it links in with everything you hear going on with the Tea Party, with what uh, Ron Paul is saying. You know, about a year ago, everybody's saying, oh, we've recovered and, you know, the economy's back on track. You know, all that came from Larry Summers out of, you know, the, and Alan Goolsby, who were basically working for Obama. Larry Summers, his whole theory on economics is behavioral economics. If you say things are okay, people will believe it and go out and spend, and thus it'll make it okay. Yeah. That's what he teaches at Harvard. So that's what they were doing. You know, I, I wrote two articles uh, the beginning of 2009 in, I believe it was March, 
exactly when the bottom of the market hit because I heard Larry Summers, I heard Obama, I heard Alan Goolsbee all saying, oh, we've hit the bottom and watch, things are going to change. And all I have to do is, you know, kick in their, their little market programs to jack the, the stock market a little bit and everybody bought into it. And I called it literally on the day that, but it won't last forever. It's all phantom money chasing some phantom, you know, if you go out in Main Street, you're not going to hear about people doing real well. But the stock market's, you know, back up to the highest levels it's been. Talk a little bit more about this computer program part of it all, because I don't understand exactly what you mean by how Greenspan and this DeVoe guy implemented computer programs to manipulate the market. What, what exactly do these computer programs do? Well, it, what they do is, with any computer trading program, the, the thing you hear about today with computer trading programs are flash crashes and high-frequency trading, things like that. Yeah. That's all. You know, a computer can do almost anything you program it to do. And if you have the regulators on your side, you can literally do anything with them. Mm -hmm. For example, with gold, you can program into your computer to buy and sell to itself to set the price of gold at $9,999. And no matter how many trades go on that day, 99% of them will be you trading to yourself, and it will end up at the end of that day at $999. Okay. And the, some of the reasons we know this is that the bad guys, when they had the control of it, I remember vividly four days in a row that, that gold stopped trading at $666. They were trying to give us a message, 666. And everybody's like, oh, this market's rigged. Well, of course it's rigged. <laughs> but you, you can use that on stocks. You can use it on bonds. You can use it on anything that traded, that trades because today – over 90% of all trades are computer-generated. So as far as free markets, there is none. And there haven't been any free markets, truly free markets, since the 70s, before the 70s. Okay. All right. That extrapolates it a little bit. I guess talk a little bit, just to jump into some other stuff that's from the website within this realm. Uh, talk, you, you mentioned it previously here, and I've heard about it in other places as well, but I know a lot of people haven't heard about this whole uh, Yamashita's gold story. So talk about the Yamashita's gold story and then, you know, how it relates to this whole road to Ruta theory. Sure. Well, back in uh, at the end of World War II, when we were just about to, to beat the Japanese, they found out that the Japanese through the last 50 years had pillaged all of Asia for gold. Mm -hmm. They were obsessed with gold. They'd go in and conquer and take gold, take gold, take gold. Yamashita was the, I believe, the emperor or premier of, of Japan, and when he heard that the U.S. or he felt that the U.S. was going to win, what he did is he took all the gold that they had accumulated and he hid it in the Philippines. And there was, I think, 180 or so different sites where literally they're booby-trapped, they're dug into tunnels, and, and it contained a massive amount of gold, more gold than anybody thought was ever mined in the world. And the U.S. found this gold through MacArthur and some of his men, and from that time in, in the late 40s when they found the gold and started to extract it, they determined that they shouldn't tell anybody. For the number one reason, not just to be greedy, but back then we were on a gold standard. 
the introduction of, say, 300,000 tons of gold when the world thought there was only 120,000 or however much there was at that time, yeah. it would destroy the U.S. dollar. It would destroy the gold currency because all of a sudden there would be gold everywhere. So they said, okay, we're not going to tell anybody about this gold, and we'd probably have to give it back to all those other Asian countries. We're going to keep this a huge secret, and we're going to use it as we need it for covert ops, and we're going to put set up these banks as kind of the prime dealers of this gold. And that's kind of where the whole banking cabal came about and where they got their funds and, and that led into the CIA problems and, and all the dark things in our history. And you can go onto the web and, and look up Yamashita's gold, or it's also known as the Golden Lily Treasure. There was a book written about it um, by Sterling and Peggy Seagrave, and they did massive amounts of research on this stuff. And almost all of it is obtained from public documents. They also have hundreds of pages of documentation that I actually have, and a lot of people have, that show all these gold transactions that have gone on, secret gold transactions all around the world ever since this money was you know, discovered or this gold was discovered. I have an article called Golden Secrets on my website that talks about that, but there's even a bigger secret that you know, I, I don't have any confirmation. There's been no books written about it. There's just some, there's some old New York Times articles mm -hmm. about this vein of gold that was found in Grand Canyon. Yeah. And I don't know if you've heard about, you know, the Egyptian artifacts found in the Grand Canyon. Yeah, I've heard about a lot of strange discoveries in the Grand Canyon. There's, yeah. a, lot, there's a lot of strange stuff going on there, and it is all a, a military no-go zone. Yeah. You can't go in there. You can't mess with it. Nobody touches it. Bush, Bush Jr. even tried to go in there and excavate, and they wouldn't let him. Supposedly, there is a gigantic vein of gold in there, more gold than has ever been discovered in the history of the world. Wow. And the idea, the idea all along with the United States since the early 1900s was our natural resource policy has been to hide everything we have on our own land and use everybody else's first. So every time we poke a hole in the ground and we find oil, we're going to cap it and say, you know, I don't know what's here. I don't know what's in Alaska. I don't know what's in the Gulf. And Because we know as long as we can use the dollar, we can use those pieces of paper to buy the rest of the world's natural resources. Because one day, and that day's coming soon, people won't accept that dollar anymore. And at that point in time, we're going to have to close our borders and just use what we have. So we've been hoarding natural resources for almost 100 years, probably over 100 years. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm trying to think about where we should go next with this. I guess, obviously, you said this, this book's been written about Yamashita's gold, so it's not like this is some huge you know, UFO-esque conspiracy that the mainstream wouldn't have access to. But when do you think the, the knowledge of Yamashita's gold will be revealed, you know, to the public and, and they'll become educated about it. And how? How would that all come about? I, I think I think it's all coming to a head now. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you why. The big secret, you know, the big secret behind all the secrets in the United States, behind the CIA, behind everything, one, there is the UFO issue. And that is a, a big one. 
And that's something that at some point they're going to have to tell people. Yeah. The other big secret is the U.S. dollar. The, the value of the U.S. dollar and the rigging of the market and the rigging of the gold market, that covers almost every single national security secret that we've tried to keep over the last 50 or 60 years. It's the rigging of the gold market to keep the dollar sound. Because if gold goes crazy, the dollar is done. Because it's the only alternative. Well, what do you mean if gold goes crazy? What, what does that mean? Gold goes to $10,000 an ounce. Uh, okay. $20,000, $30,000, $100,000 an ounce. People will say, oh my God, this isn't a gold issue. This is a U.S. dollar issue. And then what happens? They bust out all the Yamashita's gold? We're like, shit, well, we're rich. Well, here's here's where we are now, is that the government's trying to print as much as they can because they want it done. People are suffering in the, in the country. They want this whole fiat mess to end. Yeah. So that's why you have $600 billion here, a trillion here, $100 billion here. That's what they're trying to do. They're breaking it. They're going to break the banks. And once that's done, remember, once the banks are out, all fiat money is gone. Nobody has a penny. You have your hard assets. You have your house, I guess. You have your car. Whoever's got gold and silver, you've got you know your boat. Mm-hmm. But they're going to have to reallocate money. Now, in the United States, we've been planning for this for at least 40 years. There's a lot of hidden gold that we have stashed away. To use as the basis of a new gold standard. Exactly. Exactly. And remember, when there's no other money, it doesn't take a lot of gold. You know, if everybody gets three pieces of gold, everybody's rich. Three pieces would be a billion ounces. And then what happens if you spend your three pieces? How do you how do you get well, more see, gold? That's, that's that's exactly where we are. Where it it would be a it would be a start over, and and then you know people would get allocated money, probably based on social security is my guess because that's what they did in the in the road to Ruta thing. You know, the oldest get the most, the youngest you know will get some as they grow and they work and they get some of the gold. Yeah. So people will get reallocated money and then. We'll just function again, and, you know, over time, the smarter we'll get the more money, the, the spendthrifts, you know, the, the crazy spenders will lose theirs, things like that, and, and everything will even out again, but it is a restart, and it takes out this evil banking cabal who's ruled us for so long. Couldn't the gold standard be just as easily manipulated as the fiat currencies, or is that something that if, if well, you know, you think if you destroy the banks, then there'll always be somebody who wants to manipulate for wealth. <laughs> True. It's true. It, truthfully, there is no perfect money. There, you know, the longer you study money and the history of money, you'll you'll find that there is no perfect money. Gold is as close to perfect as you can get because of the scarcity. It, it's easily divisible. It's rare. It, it it and it has a history. It has a history of thousands of years as being money, whereas today. These electronic blips that we call our assets. Yeah. I mean, you think the the tulip people? We laugh at them for believing that tulips had value. What do you think they would say to us when they see that that we believed in electronic blips? Yeah. Was our was our assets had value? Yeah. You know, exactly. That kid ended a blink of an eye. One solar flare or an EMP, and all of a sudden there's no there's no more wealth. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, everything got erased. So, so the way you see it then is, 
to, to sort of look at the timeline of this. Oh, you know, hopefully you're about a month off because we'll get this episode posted in December. So it's clear things are getting kind of weird right now. So do you feel like we're like sort of teetering on the ultimate collapse here of, of this whole thing? Because I've been hearing that in a lot of places too. So it, it, you're not the only one saying that that this economy is due for even a worse turn than, than people think. Yeah. Well, you know, running a – working on a theory that I'm working on, a lot of it has to do – a lot of it has to do with what is the future going to bring. Everything I work on is, is geared towards steering people towards – this is our most likely future. This is our potential future if we want it. Now, I've been uh, on most of my stuff. I've been right on the content, and I've been right about the players. I've been wrong on timing. Timing has always been my issue as to you know when things are going to happen. Yeah, and that's always the most difficult part. It's as well. always the most difficult. And here's an interesting thing. I don't know if you and your listeners listen to uh, Cliff High at all. Cliff High of HalfPastHuman.com, he's put together this linguistics program that's unbelievable, unmatched in predicting when things are going to happen. Yeah, I've heard about this. times and things like that. His problem is he doesn't exactly get the content right. For example, 9-11, he, he predicted to the minute, but he saw it as a financial problem, a huge financial problem. Now, he's saying that November 14th, just this Sunday, is something... 10 to 20 times larger an impact on civilization than 9-11. What could something like that be? Could be a nuclear war, could be some gigantic solar flare, or it could be the end of the fiat money system, or the beginning of the end, because his his window of how long this impact is going to last is 65 days. Oh, so he's saying starting on the 14th of November, going over the next 65 days. He, he, he Actually, his lead-in started on Friday. Oh, okay. So Friday to, to Sunday, you know, we are already seeing the turmoil. You had AMBEC go down, which is the largest, you know, it's like a, not even a mini, just a step below AIG. They, they declared bank, bankruptcy yesterday. They have trillions in derivatives that are going to go bad. You know, we think AIG was a big problem. AMBEC's just as bad. So all this stuff is happening as we speak, and you see gold and silver breaking out. You know, gold's at fourteen hundred, silver's at you know whatever. It was twenty nine when I looked, and then they slammed it back down to twenty six. But those breaking out because the, the banks are massively naked short on gold and silver. Yeah, massively. If anybody wants to preserve their wealth or get rich, go to your local coin shop, buy an ounce of gold as many ounces of silver as they have because that's what the bankers don't want you to do. And those are going to, in fiat dollar terms, they're going to go ballistic. Yeah, this is probably an absolutely terrible idea, and I don't encourage anyone to do this, but what if I went and maxed out my credit cards and bought as much gold as possible? And that, then... that idea comes up all the time, and, and you know why I don't suggest it is karma. <laughs> yeah. It is pure karma that if you do that, <laughs> you're going to get back at the bankers. They don't really care because, you know, they're going to lose their stuff anyway. But it, it, there is a karma type of situation that I don't suggest it. Yeah. But I do suggest taking care of getting out of the electronic financial system as fast as possible. 
And what do you mean by that? Like taking all your cash out of the banks? Yes, to oh, start with. Interesting, okay. To start with, you're making no interest anyway in the banks. Take your cash out. Every time you need to pay a bill with a check, go in and put you know $50 in the bank. Yeah. Because I'll guarantee you, <laughs> some point in the very near future, your bank is not going to be open for business. Every yeah. single bank right now, and I work in the financial industry, every single bank is insolvent. Yeah. Yeah. Today. That's, that's, today. Yeah. Because if you think about it, banks are leveraged 20 or 30 to 1. So every dollar they their assets go up, they make 20 or 30 bucks. It's wonderful as assets go up. As assets go down, for example, housing, for every dollar they lose, they lose $30. So if their housing portfolio loses 10%, they've lost 300% of their value. Okay. The economy's been a little rough, man. Oh, man, just brutal. You know, it's times like these that E-Trade can really help you replan your investments. Yep. So, you know, it gives you the tools and research. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Take control. Rise up. You Dang. Know. Dude, broken. No, 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 no. What? Stop. What? I can't flex the golden pipes? It's not the venue. It's inspiration. Any place. Fine. <sighs> okay, where was I? I'm going to fly again. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. No, no, I'm just poking at your funny bone. I am quite alarmed. And so we're looking at a situation here where, as you said, the banks are going to be closed. The fiat money is going to be essentially worthless. The economy is going to completely just crater. Yes. That's in, in a nutshell, it, it'll be worse than that. Because when you think about it and you think what it what it takes to make an economy or a society function, People got to get paid to go to work. If if you don't think you're going to get paid, who's going to go drive the bus? Who's going to who's going to drive the the truck to deliver the food? Who's going to turn on you know go to work to turn the power on? Right, right. We're talking it, about it a complete be, collapse of of society if that happens. Yeah. And and the question is, we are going to fall down. The question is, how quickly can we get up? Yeah. How well have our have the good guys? prepared this situation for a rebirth of our nation. Well, let me turn that around on you. How, <laughs> how, how well do you think they have prepared us to, to turn this thing around if and when, you know, we, we, the, the economy collapses? There's, there's a lot of signs that, that there's a lot of preparation that has gone on. Just listen to what Ron Paul says. You know, Ron has been involved with this since – the, the Gold Commission days, even into the 70s with Greenspan and Ronald Reagan and in the secret group. He's been involved the whole time. The whole time they had him slated for president once this happened. And I believe it, it, he's still slated for president. You know, when, when you, we do have something as big as a fiat money collapse, people are going to turn to, you know, who's at fault? They're going to say, well, obviously the Federal Reserve. Yeah. Let's kick them out. We'll put that that whole function of dealing with our money into the Treasury Department. Obviously, Tim Geithner will be gone. They'll probably put someone like Paul Volcker in there, who's the guy who said, you know, in, said we need the Volcker rule, which basically tells all the banks they can't trade for their own account anymore. He's, he's the guy who jacked interest rates up to 20% to save the dollar in the early 80s. And so but what, what's going to happen to the president then? You think he's going to be taken out of office because of this? Well, I, you know... You can, you can, 
there are people who control him now. Yeah, that's becoming it's, it's, clearer and clearer as the months go yeah. by. And those people will be taken out of control. So, you know, do they have a plan? Do the good guys have a plan to say, okay, I think Obama kind of got in there as a bad guy, and the good guy said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to spend as much money as possible. You're going to destroy the U.S. dollar, and then you're going to walk away when we tell you, you know, either it might be the birth certificate thing or it might be, you know, it could be anything. Yeah. It could be. There's a lot of talk, you know, and on the conspiracy side, which is where this interview is, (laughs) there's a lot of talk that the United States of America was turned into a corporation in the in the 1930s. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, it's the United States of America Corporation. So all the laws passed since the 1930s are null and void. All the presidents elected are null and void. You know, is that true? I have no idea. I tried to go down that path, and it was way beyond me. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so if that came out, then it would be a situation where we'd have to start from scratch and reelect a new president, if you will. Exactly. You know, I always thought it would be some kind of special election. But, you know, if you, but if you look at what's going on in Congress right now with the Republicans in charge of the House, they're going to elect the Speaker of the House in January. Mm-hmm. Well, if the Speaker of the House is third in line. If Obama is said, okay, you, you didn't have the right passport, you weren't American-born or whatever it is, and they said you you have to stand down, Biden would stand down because he ran on the ticket with Obama, so it would be the Speaker of the House would be president. Well, they could put Ron Paul as the Speaker of the House if they wanted. Yeah, I'm skeptical of I mean, that ever happening. That's a stretch. <laughs> that's a stretch, but it would fit in line with everything we see going on. Okay. Well, if Ron Paul gets put in, I'll, I'll make a deal with you, Bix. If Ron, right. <laughs> if Ron, this is probably a terrible idea, but if, if Ron Paul becomes Speaker of the House, then I will, I will go max out my cards and, and buy as much gold as possible. See, that would be too late. Oh no! It, it would, it would have, the event would have had to happen for Ron Paul. Oh. But what do you think would happen if there is a monetary crash in the next couple of weeks? What do I think? Who do you think they'd put as Speaker speaker of the House? Who would they want as the next president? Oh, that's true. I see what you're saying there. Yeah, okay. So this would come about after that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if everything's the status quo when this interview airs, no, Ron Paul won't be president. We'll still be battling the battles with the bankers, and, you know, hopefully the good guys will still be in charge of trying to, you know, end this madness that we got going on right now. But, you know, I, I don't see it. I see in the next two weeks or so the beginning of the end, the, the collapse of one of these large banks that the FDIC keep, keeps saying we're going to ha- have to take down a couple of these large banks. They are so interconnected with their derivatives in the trillions upon trillions of dollars that nothing can survive it. That's why Buffett called it weapons of mass financial destruction. So, like, if, if Bank of America collapsed, that would mean that I wouldn't have to pay my credit card bill anymore? <laughs> well, you got to run the scenario. If Bank of America collapsed, yeah. they have $50 trillion in derivatives. <laughs> Every single one of their counterparties would collapse, Yeah, which is basically everybody. And then their counterparties would collapse. And it is really a, it is a domino effect. So 
you're not going to worry about your credit card bills, your house bills, or anything. You're going to worry about, oh, my God. We're going to get food. What do we do now? Yeah. Where do I get food? Where do I get water? People will turn to our government and say, you better have a goddamn plan. <laughs> because especially with, with the stuff I'm talking about saying that this is all planned. Yeah. This, is, this has been in the works since the early 70s. And if they don't have a plan by now, I'll be the, the most pissed off of everybody. <laughs> now, what's the role of silver in all this, in all this situation? Silver, silver, silver. Well, the role of silver right now is, is the role of the silver bullet. The role of silver is to take down the bad guys. The bad guys, meaning right now, it's, it's J.P. Morgan. Bear Stearns used to have the silver bullet, which is the silver short position, the controller of the silver price. Mm -hmm. Now, when Bear Stearns went down, J.P. Morgan took it over. And it's 30,000 naked short contracts, which is 150 million ounces of silver. Now, they use that. Uh, this, is, this is on the comics, the futures and options trading, where basically prices are set. They use that position to steer the price. Silver should be, put, look at it this way, gold, there's five times as much gold as there is silver out there. Oh, wow. But silver trades for one-fiftieth the price of gold. Silver is used in almost every industrial applications re related to electronics. Every cell phone, every flat screen TV has little, little bits of silver in it. Mm -hmm. And the manufacturers, it, it's a small cost to them. So to make a, a flat screen TV, you might need a half an ounce of silver. Well, if silver is trading for twenty-five bucks an ounce, no big deal. Twelve fifty, you know, I can I can throw that into the cost of my TV. If silver is trading at a thousand bucks an ounce, all of a sudden your TV's gone up five hundred bucks. Yeah. And people will raise their ears and say, "Why? Why in the world did silver that was trading in around ten or twenty dollars for years and years and years? Why is it now trading at a thousand dollars an ounce?" or $2,000 an ounce. Why is that? And then it'll come out, the whole silver conspiracy, how long that's been going on. I mean, silver, if you if you dig back into the guts of silver manipulation, you got to go back into the 1800s when, when Britain controlled pretty much everything and figured out that they got to get rid of the silver standard, silver as money, because they didn't have a lot of silver. You know, who had the silver... China had all the silver. India had all the silver. Yeah. Literally, <laughs> the the powers that run the banking in in England have, for the last 150 years, trying to tried to demonetize silver, take it out of the people's hands. And now, literally, with what's going on at the CFTC, which is the kind of the SEC of of commodities, yeah, they're about to shut them down. They're about to say, okay, no more rigging the silver market. And in a blink of an eye, silver will jet from $30 to you name it. You name your price. I have, oh, wow. I, have, I wrote an article called $6,000 silver. <laughs> Do you think there's enough gold in the world for a gold standard to actually work, or is that sort of where the Yamashita's gold comes in? Well, yeah. I mean, once the, the secrets are out, once the crash of the monetary system, the people are going to – of every country are going to decide for their, at first, for just their own country, what they want to use as money. Now, a lot of countries don't have gold. They don't have access to gold, and so they might use something else. They might continue on using paper and trust their government. The U.S. has a history of using gold as money. Yeah. 
we have a lot of gold. We have a ton of gold. We can use silver. We can use copper. We can use coins. The key is that it's open and transparent, and, and the people have the right to know when. You know, right now, we don't know what the Fed does at all. Right. And, and the real money, the money creation is not what you see in, like, the M1, M2, M3 money supply data. Mm-hmm. The real money is in the derivatives and the, what they call the, the, the shadow banking system. And it's – I'm hearing rumors in the quadrillions. Quadrillions um, of, of U.S. dollars floating out there. Factories in Russia printing out $100 bills. Why not? It's not illegal in Russia, is it, to print $100 bills? Interesting. Yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah. It's the whole concept that we've been programmed to believe that not only is paper money, but electronic blips count as money. Yeah, yeah. Well, I read an interesting fact that the $100 bill only costs like $0.04 cents to make, so it really, <laughs> you know. If you, but you don't even have to make them anymore. That's true. You can you can use your, your Visa card and... You know, how many how much how many cents does it cost to put you know a hundred dollars worth of blips in your account? Yeah, that's true. Now, as as a as a resident of the Boston area, what's the what's the significance? I, you said you know that, that that this comic was printed uh, on the Boston Fed's website. What's what's the significance of the Boston Fed in this whole thing? Is it could it could it just as easily have been the Chicago Fed or the LA Fed, or is it or well, is Boston significant to this? Boston is significant in that. I, I believe, from my research, that's where the original ideas of rigging the computer market, rigging the markets with computers came out of, and as in kind of an altruistic way of thinking. Yeah. Because it was Stephen Duveau who went to school in Boston. I forgot which school, but he went to school in Boston, went over to the work in the said Boston, and he was in charge of setting up the computer programs and implementing the the long-term implementation of the gold standard is what it is, basically. Okay. And then there there was another guy at, at the at the Fed Boston who just recently retired or, or died or something that was the liaison between the primary banks and the Federal Reserve. So when when the, the Fed wants to go in and rig the market – they don't do it themselves. They go to their prime dealers. They'll go to J.P. Morgan, Citibank, Goldman, and say, okay, I need you to officially change the price of gas from $60 down to $40 over a one-week period. And so then the, the primary dealers get out there, put you know program in their computers, and they rig the market down to wherever they need by trading it back and forth. Okay. Now, you said that, that Greenspan sort of amped up his plan after 9-11, I guess, what was it about 9-11 that encouraged him to speed up his plan, and how much has he accelerated this whole thing? Well, if you look at, and I got this from the original comic, the original comic Wishes and Rainbows. There's there's a single frame in that comic that has Ruta, the little girl, writing economic formulas in the sand as to how she's going to allocate the colored flowers or allocate the, the new money type of thing, right? So in the original comic, the one that was released in 1981, she was writing those formulas I talked about from the 60s, the those economic allocation models, the road to the golden age and things like that. Mm-hmm. All those formulas were in the sand. In the new one, in the new version, and this is the only change, 
in the new version, she's not writing those formulas. Those formulas aren't there. What she wrote is 11 plus 9 hmm. or 9-11. And then there's an Islamic crescent moon in the sand also. So my theory was and is if you, if you really want to understand 9-11, you need to read two or three different reports. And they're, they're on my website under uh, the resources uh, button on the left side. And I don't know if your readers have read them. They're, they're, they will absolutely blow your mind. They're called Collateral Damage, U.S. Covert Operations and the Terrorist Attacks on September 11th. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Yep. And if, if you read those reports, they're very long, but you read those and then everything makes sense. What was it about 9-11? There was, there was billions of dollars in phony bonds, supposedly, that were supposed to mature on September 12th. You know, if you go into where the, the planes hit the buildings, what floors were taking out, it was these bond trading floors that would have found out the scandal. You got Building 7 that housed all the documents for gold manipulation that Gatto was suing the banks for. I mean, if you read these reports, everything will click in your head. Hmm. And it, also, it talks about Yamashita's gold in there. It talks about all the players who were involved in rigging the markets and the, the whole banking shadow world. It, literally, those, those two reports alone will just blow your mind. So I guess, uh, well, who put together the reports? Uh, like well, an independent it, group? kind of unknown. Hmm. But the way they talk about uh, the ONI, the Office of Native, Naval Intelligence, yeah. I believe it was someone out of the ONI. Now, the ONI was the direct spot. They were running the investigation into the bankers. That's directly the area of the Pentagon that was blown up, and all their records were lost there. Hmm. So I, I think it was someone from the O&I that, that wrote these reports. But you can tell when you read them that they're in the know. They and, have, and, and all this stuff that they write about is gleaned from public documents. That's the amazing thing about, about so much of the conspiracy side of things. A lot of it is just out there in public documents. People just haven't put the pieces together. So what are they putting forward, the idea that, that 9-11 was, a, I guess you could say, a, an orchestrated attack to stave off loss of control by the financial bad guys? They put forth that there are many different levels to 9-11. And, you know, it, obviously it wasn't al-Qaeda. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a given now. It's, you know, nobody even talks about it. Yeah, it's like Lee Harvey Oswald. Exactly. What they put forth is they show you who benefits from it, who, what what areas were taken out in in both Building One, Building Two, Building Seven, and the Pentagon, and they they take and they bring back history of Yamashita's gold, of the setup of the banks to run black ops, of all sorts of stuff. It's it's a long report, but I urge all your listeners. If there's anything you read about the the conspiracy behind the banking system, behind 9-11, read these two reports. I, I, there's three now. 
there's three reports, and they're all on the website under uh, resources on the left side there. <laughs> but literally, you'll you'll spend days reading it, and and every single line will just blow your mind. And but it all kind of makes sense. That's the strange thing. All those mysteries that that you don't quite understand will come into perfect view. But but back to your question. Yeah. That is that I believe is why you know. If, if I'm just talking about Greenspan, and he was one of the original guys to implement the computer market rigging. He lost control of it in the late 80s, all throughout the 90s till 2001. Then 9/11 hit, and Greenspan and the original good guys, who you know this was originally supposed to be a good thing, said we we have to take these bankers down, and the only way to do it is give them take away all regulation and give them enough rope to hang themselves. And that's what they've done. What was supposed to be the good thing, though? <laughs> Not 9-11. It was the, the long-term use of fiat money okay. to build, you know, we've built millions of houses only because of fiat money. And, you know, the thing is, why gold is so good and so bad is that it constrains spending. Yeah. You can only... You know, if you use gold as money, the only money you have is gold. So, you know, gold is mined. The the, the amount of gold in the world is mined at about, it grows at about 2% per year, which coincidentally is about the growth of the population. That's why gold is so good. You, you'll never have too much. And you'll never have too little. But, you know, it's human nature to say, I want more. Absolutely, yeah. So if, you know, and, and with fiat money, you know, all the houses that you see that are being foreclosed, they would have never been built. Now, you might argue that, hey, it would have been better. It would have been disciplined. It would have been, yes, true, but let's do it now. If we wipe away all the debt now, we've got these houses. We've got a lot of people. They can live in these houses and, you know, for free. No more mortgage. Again, Bex, i got to say, sounds almost too good to be true, although I presume – There'll be a rough patch there when no one can get any money anymore and, you know, there's no there point a, in going to your job or anything and we're all sort of huddled around the TV to wait to see what, what the hell happens next. What, yeah, what, what is the plan? And, and hopefully, you know, I, I got to think, you know, these guys, these are not dumb people. They've, they've been, they've hidden this thing for so long and they've been working on it for so long and they're almost there. I gotta believe that they have plans, transition plans, and it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really rough for a little while, but in the end, imagine the United States with no debt, the people with no debt. Every school is funded, every fire station, every police station is funded. Everything is fully funded. Now, do you think the delay of the hundred dollar bill was due to them waiting for this collapse to happen? You got to remember the hundred dollar bill is the most counterfeited bill in the world. Yeah, and it has been since they started printing these new bills. So you got to ask yourself, well, why did they wait for the hundred? Why did they start with the twenty and then go to the five, the ten, and the fifty? And they haven't, you notice they haven't changed the one because of all the Illuminati references. I think on the back of it. Yeah. So why did they wait to do the hundred last when it's the most counterfeited and it would make the most difference because it's a hundred bucks? Then they they showed it. They they announced the hundred and said, "Here it is. 
and lo and behold, it's got gold all over it. It's got talk of overthrowing your government right above the 100. I mean, you, you couldn't ask for a more meaningful bill. Yeah. And then after I wrote my article about all the hidden meanings in the new $100 bill, weeks later they said, oh, you know, we're going we're gonna to delay it from February to unknown time because uh, they, we had problems with creasing. Hmm. But, you know, in, in, on my website, in the article, I show a video of them printing out literally pallets full of hundreds. And they're all perfect. And they're all ready to go, and they have been ready to go for two years since <laughs> the first takedown that we tried to take down the bad guys. So will they delay it? I don't think so. I don't think – I think the, the good guys, hopefully they're not delaying it because they think it will take longer – for the transition from the crash to getting back on our feet. That would be that would be bad because the longer it goes that it takes us to, you know, get sound money back in the United States, the worse things might happen. Yeah, yeah, cuz we're talking about a complete societal collapse here. Exactly. So if it, you know, my my take is we'll have a week or two of bank closures. Then we'll announce okay, the banks are reopening. And everybody will be started off with some money, maybe. <laughs> and there'll be two months of chaos, but a week of nothing open. And okay. then, hope, now this is, I'm hoping, because, <laughs> you know, when you think about all the complexity of everything, it's it's mind-boggling. Yeah, well, it goes back to kind of what I said earlier here about, this being too good to be true, because, uh, you know, for the season premiere here of BOA Audio Season 6, we had Jim Mars on, you know, and he's also predicting a financial collapse, but he's saying it, you know, is going to happen in a completely, the outcome, I guess you could say, is going to be completely different, that, you know, at that point, the United States will be absorbed, essentially, into a world government, that, we're, that, that you know, the United States is the last, you know, stumbling block to a new world order, and that much... Like we have established here in our conversation that the bad guys want the economy to fail. He's saying the same thing, but for completely different reasons. Well, I guess the same reasons that you're saying. Obviously, the bad guys want us in the New World Order. So it's like, you know, I guess we have to wait and see. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's, that's, and, and I, I thought the same thing for the longest time. For, you know, because I was battling the, what I thought were the bad guys in our government and in the banks with my years at GATA. You know, fighting every day for you know someone in the in the CFTC to stand up and stop the rigging of the markets until I discovered all this other stuff. Now, you know, obviously that was the plan. The original plan of the bad guys was to crash the system and and take over the world and you know decrease the population and masters and slaves type of thing. The road to root of theory. A lot of people saying it's too good to be true. A lot of people saying it's too off the wall to be true. A lot of people saying it scares me more than, you know, the one world government type of thing. Because at least with the one world government, you know where you stand. With with the road to Ruta, it's the rebirth of our country. What am I going to do? I liked my banking job. Yeah. What am I going to do with myself? I, I can't start fresh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it's kind of... I I don't know the future. I don't know where this is going to all end up. I do know that we need to crash the system to get rid of the debt because if we don't, the bad guys will win. Yeah. 
and there'll be debt slavery camps and the whole thing, all that stuff that's been predicted for so long. Debt slavery camps? Oh, yeah. You haven't heard that one? No. What is uh, this? Part of their master plan was, you know, get everybody in debt and then crash the system and those you know, have the debts remain, but all their assets go away. Whoever has debts have to work in these slave camps until they work off their debt. I don't think that would ever fly in America, but... See, that's that's where we are. That's the key to these last few years is kind of a, an awakening of the American spirit in the people. And I can walk down the street today, and I'll guarantee you that not one person would say, I'm going to... I want... I want the bankers to be bailed out ever again. They're all saying, let them fry. I don't care if I lose everything, let them fry. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much where I'm at because I don't want to pay my bills anymore, so that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll know soon enough. Yeah. Well, but, you know, there, is, there, is another, there is another restructuring possibility out there, and, and it's with the Nestra law mm-hmm. or Nestra Act. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. Uh, the Nestra Ag, and you can find it at Nestra.org, N-E-S-A-R-A.org, and it's been around for 10, 15 years, and what it does is it takes all debt that's out there, and it goes back to a gold standard, but it takes all debt, it removes all the interest you've paid from your principal, and that's your new principal. So if you've owned your house for 10 years, and you have a million-dollar house, and you've paid 800000 in interest so far, it would readjust your principal balance, subtract 800000 off your million, and your principal would only be 200000 Oh, that would be great. Yeah. It, it, that, now, that it's kind of a readjustment. The problem, I think, with that is that you don't take care of that shadow banking system. Yeah. As those people printing in the, in the shadows, the derivatives, all that needs to be wiped clean. Or well, they're, they're going to gain power again. It certainly feels like we're headed towards something here. This this financial system is clearly untenable at this point. Um, so, you know, that's, this is partially why I wanted to have you on the show, because I've gotten people asking when we're going to get more into this and stuff. And, and, you know, your theory, at least I'm not as frightened of your theory as I am of a new world order. So, I you know, I'd be more in favor of what you're describing. I'll tell you that I'm I'm in the minority <laughs> when it comes to this theory, but the closer we get to it, and as things transpire that are, you know, for example, Alan Greenspan talking about going back onto a gold standard just recently. That was unheard of five years ago. Everybody used to laugh at me when I'd say that. The the collapse of the system of the and, and the anger towards the bankers is going to go a long way. Exactly, yeah. My only concern is uh, I have faith in you and me and the listeners of this program and the educated folks out there, but unfortunately we're a small minority compared to the mainstream, you know, Justin Bieber fans who will just do whatever the government tells them. So it's it's tr- troublesome in a sense. Do you know what I mean? Well, well, I mean, I'd like to have faith that the people will know the right thing to ask for, but at the same time, Come on, these are the same people who didn't legalize marijuana. So obviously, they're they're clearly not playing with a full deck. I I hear you, but the the reeducation of America that's gone over on over the, the last couple of years with with the things Ron Paul says, and you know, there's a Ron Paul fever that goes through the college campuses now. 
because it makes sense what he's saying. Yeah. And people are waking up in America. They are saying, oh, my, in the Internet and your show and all these available avenues to get the real story, and people don't even listen to the TV anymore. They just laugh at it. Yeah. It's hit that point where the alternative media is taken over, and, and it's, it's about time. And part of the new, the new America will be the freeing up of the media, getting rid of the controllers of our, our media and, and getting rid of them, just absolutely wiping them clean and say, okay, you know, whether or not it will be government-mandated or free market media, I don't know. But that is a huge part of the problem is the mainstream media. Now, part of your theory also suggests, you know, sort of this end of globalization, yeah, which would be a stunning turn of events, I guess. Uh, would it really, though? I mean, and this comes directly from the Road to Ruta Teacher's Guide. Mm-hmm. When they when they talk about, literally, they talk about some of the questions. They they go on and say, okay, uh, what does what does Ruta find in color and what what Will she do with the flowers when they die? Things like that. One of the questions is, when will commerce start up again with her neighbors? Will they start trading again? If you think about the death of the dollar, which is what we're approaching, there's going to be some very angry people out there. Our largest trading partner is China, who just happens to also be our largest debt holder. They are our bank. If we tell our bank that, oh, by the way, those little pieces of paper that you hold are worthless, what are they going to do? You think they'll keep trading with us? Would we actually give them something other than dollars? Would we give them gold? No. We're going to need that gold for our own commerce. But China won't be mad because they're in on it too. Wen Jiaobo, the, the premier of China, was in charge of their gold mining operations way back when. And then he got in charge of commerce. He was a buddy of Greenspan. They're all in on it. Okay, so you're you're saying, because then my other concern is that there's this collapse, and then it leads to some kind of uh, war situation. Because at that point, resources are, are the only thing of any value. War with who, though? I don't Nobody know. People have any money to start a war, really? I guess that's true. Yeah. That's. The, I mean, the wars are facilitated by fiat money. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think of it without that without fiat money, nobody you know, other than the bad guys, nobody really wants to fight each other. And if if we're pulling all our troops out of every country, and we're basically going to take care of ourselves for a while and not trade with anybody and not deal with anybody, you know, take care of our own country. There's going to be no need for war. We have plenty of resources in in the United States. We've been hiding it for so long. We're chock full of resources. Okay. All right. Um, It's the bad guys who want to turn a currency collapse into a war. Yeah. Because that feeds into – that's why I'm trying to get the word out that this doesn't have to be a a violent transition. It can be a peaceful transition. Once you understand what happened in the past, and our potential for the future, it could be a really good thing. That's the way you're making it sound, and I'm hopeful that that is the case. Um, I'm sure. I think Ron Paul is saying the same thing, and he's been working on this a whole lot longer than I've been working on it. <laughs> now, have there been any sort of like 
uh, you say that guy from Boston was DeVoe? Yes, Stephen DeVoe. Have there been any sort of like, you know, have they sort of tipped their hand a little bit that this is, that you're on to something? Do you know what I mean? Whether well, it's Greenspan or DeVoe or, or any of the sort of insiders on the good guy side. Have they, not necessarily to you, but even to the point of how they publish the comic uh, on the website. Well, they, they moved it and they took away the, the big red exclamation point. <laughs> and the, the other comic, the third comic that I didn't talk about is, is something called Banking Basics. And it's, it's just a little comic about, you know, the basics of banking, what, how checks work and things like that. But that comic was originally introduced in 1987 when Greenspan took over the Federal Reserve. When they redid it, the new comic has all these pictures of gold in it. Gold coins being cashed in at a bank, gold in this girl's hand when she's standing in line at the teller machine, a, a little kid putting gold in his penny bake. It has it it gotten to the point of obvious that this is where this is heading. Yeah. And whether we make it out okay or not depends on whether people know to ask for the right thing. It, it, to it demand the right thing, how, really. Yeah, it, it depends on, one, one, how well the good guys have prepared us for this. You know, what is their plan? What are they going to announce? What are the speeches that are going to be made? Who is going to be our leader? Are we going to turn to Ron Paul saying, God, you, you've been warning of this for so long, and now it's here. What do we do now? And hopefully they have answers for that, and I, I believe they do. But it's it ain't going to be easy. There's still a lot of lessons to be learned because people will lose fortunes. You know, those who have a lot aren't going to be real happy you know, only getting what they've paid into Social Security. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I'm only like 31, so I'm fucked. <laughs> hey, you know, not really, because if you think about it, Social Security has a cap. You only pay a certain amount, I think it's a hundred and, I don't know, $120,000, and all of a sudden anything you make over $120,000, you don't have to pay anything more. <laughs> I'm not making anywhere near $120,000, so. <laughs> I, I get it, but, but listen, th there's a reason for that. And the reason was they didn't want, you know, those people making $50, $60 million having to pay $2 million in Social Security because then they'd have to pay them back and they'd still be the richest ones around. That's true, yeah. So by placing that cap on Social Security, it, it kind of slices off that top half of the ultra-rich. Okay. When when they reintroduce a new currency. Now, if if what you're saying is accurate, and you know we're on the verge of this massive collapse, um, aside from going out and maxing out their credit cards, which I do not endorse, is not a good idea because you bad know, karma. Bad karma, and you know you might be waiting another like six months or something for this thing to happen, and <laughs> then you're going to have it's to keep true. paying paying huge minimum balance payments. So what? <laughs> What do you suggest people do in general here? I guess you could say regardless of how the whole thing shakes out as far as whether we go into a new fiat currency or whether we go into a, a, a gold-based, gold-backed economy in general, what should people be doing right now you know, to prepare themselves for the impending uh, collapse of the economy? Yep. Well, I, excellent question, and that's... It's it's something I addressed just recently in, in one of the, the letters I posted on the website. And everybody's it's free to get in that part. And it's called the final checklist for everybody. And what it does is it talks about, it talks a little about, you know, how our assets are now electronic blips and how 
insecure they are and the ability for those things to go away. Gets into that a little bit, but at the end, it gives you a little checklist of things that you're going to want to do. And let me give you a couple of those. First thing you're going to want to do is to remove yourself as much as possible from the electronic financial system. What does that mean? You know, if you have 500 bucks in the bank and you don't need all that money in there, go get the cash out, stick it under your pillow, stick it in a safe, stick it where no one can find it, and only you know put the cash back in if you need to pay a bill by check, whatever it is, because the chaos that's going to ensue once the first bank goes down and people start going to their banks and, oh, I'm a little worried about my money, once that starts, there's no ending it. You can watch It's a Wonderful Life to get the whole full spectrum of what a bank run looks like. Yeah. So that's the first thing you want to do. Get your money out of the electronic system as best you can. The second thing you want to do is get some food and water. You know, pretend pretend you're going camping for a month or two. Mm-hmm. Get enough dried food, enough you know water and storage. I live in California, around the San Francisco area, so we're always thinking about earthquake preparedness. You know, if there's an earthquake and the power's out and the water's out, and we can't get food for four or five days. You know, I've expanded that to three or four months. Yeah. So you know, you go to go to Costco, go go to Walmart and buy yourself some big bags of rice, and just have enough food. I'm not saying this is going to happen definitely, but I I don't see it being that smooth that everything just keeps going as if nothing had happened. You know, and most grocery stores, once a panic ensues, you got a couple hours to get some food, and then you're you're out of luck. It's gone because they turn stock in three or four days at a grocery store. And and when there's a, a panic, everybody's going to go there. Now, the problem there is it's probably going to be looted because none of the check registers will work and none of the credit card machines will work. And, you know, who knows if the electricity is even going to be on. Exactly. Anyway, so it, it's one of those things where pretend you're going camping for a couple months. Okay. And then you're going to want to think about you're going to want some gold and you're going to want some silver and you're going to want some cash. Now, the gold and silver – they won't be accepted in the first couple months. They won't. People aren't conditioned to know the value of gold and silver. Those will be your savings account. Get get one ounce coins. Don't get too big of you know. Don't buy gigantic bars, mainly because you don't know what's in it these days. Just get the one ounce coins of silver, especially gold, is wonderful. And you're gonna want some cash to live off because most people will not. You know, be, they'll be conditioned to take cash. Yeah, you don't want to be a moron and trade like right. like ten thousand dollars worth of gold for a bottle of water because that's all right. you know because they don't know what it's worth either. Yeah. But but the key to the cash is that you're probably going to be the only one with cash because if the ATM, if the banks go down, the ATMs go down. You know, most people don't even carry cash around anymore. They you know they they're running to get a coffee and they slide their little credit card in. Yeah. It's 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 really gotten that bad. So you're gonna want some cash. You're gonna want some gold and silver for your savings. That's that's your long term type of stuff. And then for me, piles of basic necessities such as soap and water and uh, medicines. Definitely, you get extra medicine. You know, get get an extra prescription if because if if things do break down for a month or two, you, you're not gonna have access to any of that. Yeah. Especially medicines that, you know, are life-sustaining and you have to have it. 
So go get yourself some medicines as fast as you can. And then it's it's the little things. And, and things like uh, toilet paper is a great example. A buddy of mine said, well, you got enough toilet paper? I said, actually, no. I probably have enough for a week or so. So I went and stocked up on toilet paper. And it's all those things. And you always want to get as much as you can because you could use it as barter. Yeah, so I was going to suggest, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there'll be a lot of barter, barter potential. Uh, alcohol is a great barter thing. You know, get the little uh, airplane bottles <laughs> because some people can't go without their little shot of vodka, and it's easily transportable. It's, it makes a good money because it's so small, those air, airplane bottles, <laughs> stuff like that. So the, those, you know, a lot of basic necessities. Then we get into protection and safety. This is kind of where I, you know, I hate, I hate to recommend it, but I'm gonna is is get a gun. Yeah. Now I'm not, I'm not saying you'll ever have to use it. What I'm saying is, without a lot of information, you might be sitting in your house and the radio won't work and the TV won't work and nothing will work and you'll be scared to death. If you have a gun, you'll be less scared. Learn how to use it. Remember the moral responsibility of having a gun, but you're going to want something. You don't want to be sitting there while, you know, anything can happen and, and not get enough information. But on the safety side, the most important thing you can do is get to know your neighbors and and get with them when things start falling apart. Yeah. Because there's safety in numbers. You can help each other. You can These are people you can barter with and go back and forth with. And they'll have news of what's going on and how the, the the progress is changing and things like that. Now, this is a lot of this is in case the the media systems go down. Yeah, exactly. Which is more than possible. And if you listen to Cliff High, it's probable. So you know that's that'll be your neighbors are going to be your best friends, even if you don't like them. <laughs> and then the last thing I talk about is is tools to rebuild your future. Once once all this settles down. And we, we basically, in globalization, everybody comes home, we institute a new monetary system. There's going to be a lot of potential to do whatever you want to do. What was your, what was your dream? You know, did you want to be a clothes designer? Well, there's not going to be a lot of fabric. Maybe go out and get some fabric so that you can be the only clothes designer in your little community. A lot of this will be community-based because some of the things that Ron Paul talks about is with the collapse of the dollar, the federal government will be in a shambles, and we'll we'll go back to state government, basically. Yeah, like a regional type of. Yeah. You know. you know, the federal government will be very small, and it makes sense. It goes back to the original Constitution, where states had all the power, and the federal government didn't have much. But the idea is think about what you want to be, and what tools you'll need to be that person. If you want to be a bread baker, maybe you'll go out and. You know, buy a whole bunch of flour and yeast and, and paper bags so that you can sell bread at the local market. Because there'll be a lot of, you know, you've, you've seen that already, a lot of local farmers markets crop up all over the states these days. Yeah. That is, that is, I think it's part of the conditioning to get us ready for that. Because if we can't import all this stuff from China or, or Mexico or wherever, you know, South America, we're going to have to turn into farmers ourselves. And, you know, some people will be better at growing beans than other people will be, you know, better at making coffee. I, you know, I don't know what the trade-offs are going to be, but try to figure out what you want to be and, and make sure you have the tools for it. All right. 
And those those are kind of the things that I had talked about in my article. And and there's a billion other things. And every every person will have a different need, being if they're in the city, in the country, in cold climates, in warm climates. Everybody's going to have a different set of needs. Absolutely, that's for sure. The, the key is to think about it, and the key is to at least start the preparation and not to be too freaked out when it starts going down. That's the toughest part, I think. But hopefully, uh, you know, people won't be. Hopefully this interview will reach them before, the, <laughs> before it all goes down. I, I have a feeling this might be the lost interview that, that, that never came out. But, yeah, I don't know. Oh, uh, well, I'll play it for my neighbors then when we're... <laughs> yeah. Send me a copy as soon as you get it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you a digital copy as soon as it's uh, uploaded and edited and everything else. But there you go. Thanks for the extra time. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to oh, no talk problem. about it. And, and a lot of this stuff is massively dis- difficult to explain, especially about the comics and all that. If you go on the website, you can you can actually see what those comics are and and see the different. Uh, you know, what, what she writes in the sand and all the different issues related to it. So I, normally here at the end of the show, we ask what's next for the guest. But as we've kind of established here in this conversation that, you know, the future itself is tenuous at best uh, for, for Bix Weir, for me, for the economy, for the listeners. Um, but, you know, so it sounds like you're sort of just riding this wave here as, as we close out 2010 and get ready for 2011 and whatever this uh, economic crisis will bring yeah yes and no I, i'm i'm doing my best to try to to educate people on on what happened and and what's coming and it doesn't have to be such a bad thing there there is a a light at the end of the tunnel and that light could be an amazing new reinvention of our of our country and the way we live or it could be an oncoming train or it could be an oncoming train, but, you know, we're going to take it as it comes. And truthfully, there's the best thing we can do is to smile as it comes towards us. I like that attitude, Bix. I like that attitude a lot. Um, as as Bix has been saying, all, a lot of this material is available at roadtoruta.com. Pretty simple, road to, and then you spell Ruta, R-O-O-T-A, Dot com and all his theories and his background information on all this stuff is fleshed out there. So folks should definitely check that out. There's a subscription service as well for even more in-depth analysis from Bix Weir. So head on over to roadtoruta.com to find out more about this really remarkable theory. And as I said at the beginning of the show, you hear so many conspiracy people just pretty much saying, you know, we're, we're headed towards our doom, but at least you're putting a positive spin on it, and I hope have uncovered the possibility that there are people on the inside that have our best interests at heart, because oftentimes it seems that's not the case at all. And so I want to thank you for coming on the show, Bix. I hope that this interview reaches people before all this stuff goes down, and uh, if not, you know, when they eventually set the Internet back up in this new world. I'll be sure to post your interview then. I presume that there'll be an internet in the <laughs> in the uh, post economic collapse world. Correct. I'm I'm hoping so. Um, I, I do have a lot of kind of positive feelings towards what's going to happen. It won't be easy 
to get through. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you called me about this interview, and it's been a wonderful chance to get this word out there and, and to get people thinking along the lines of uh, the future might not be so bleak. Absolutely. And I tell you what, Vix, we'll have you back on the show in the future. You know, could be six months from now, could be a year from now. We may be sitting here still waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I promise we'll have you on to extrapolate and, you know, expand upon your theory and sort of give us an updated version of the timeline in the event that, you know, things go a little slower than you expect. Because I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire on that. I know a lot of people out there really sort of uh, take umbrage at predictions and sort of uh, forecasts and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I know that it's a very, especially in the financial market and, 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 and the conspiracy world, it's very difficult to sort of pin down the correct timeline on these things. It, it is, and, you know, you risk a lot when you throw out predictions, but hopefully I've given enough information on the website and in this interview that, Spark somebody's interest to, to go out there and, and really think for themselves and, and figure out uh, whether or not what I'm saying is, is doable. Absolutely. That's for sure, folks. So with that in mind, thank you once again for coming on the show, Bix. It's been a great conversation, and uh, for better or for worse, I look forward to seeing how this all unfolds. Thanks a lot, Tim. That does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio Season 6. Big, big thanks to Bix Weir for coming on the show given us so much time, and for choosing BOA Audio as the first program he's appeared on to discuss the Road to Ruta conspiracy theory. You can find out more from Bix Weir at the website www.roadtoruta.com. Pretty simple, all one word, road to ruta, R-O-O-T-A, dot com. There you can find out more about the Road to Ruta conspiracy theory, see excerpts from the comics, that started it all, and read articles from Bix Weir on the economy in general. Road to Ruta.com. Check it out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio listener feedback. And since we're coming at you really, really late in the process, and quite frankly, I'm kind of exhausted, folks, we are going to do a very light edition of listener feedback here this week. I didn't want to skip it altogether, but I am also way too tired to do my usual post-show ramblings. Don't worry, we're going to be taping the end cap of the holiday special in just a few short days, so we're definitely going to be doing a lot of listener feedback on that episode. Nonetheless, let's touch on a couple of emails here. First one comes from Sean, who was featured on last week's BOA Audio listener feedback. He says, Whoops, didn't think for a minute you'd read my email on the air. No, of course smoking isn't cool. When am I going to learn that irony doesn't translate too well to print? Take it easy, Sean. First of all, hopefully it was a pleasant surprise that I read your email on the air, Sean. For anybody else who writes to me, if you don't want me to read the email on the show, please let me know. Most of the time, folks do write to me with the idea that their email may make it onto the program. Anyway, like I said, hopefully it wasn't a problem, Sean. And I had a feeling that your point about smoking being cool was sarcastic. I just figured I'd use it to climb up on the soapbox and rail against smoking. Even though I'm a smoker, I just, you know, feel like it's my duty to speak out against it because I don't want to ever be seen as someone who's endorsing it or is some kind of role model for smoking. So no worries on my end, Sean. Hopefully all is good on your end as well. Congratulations back-to-back appearances 
on listener feedback. That may be some kind of record, although I'd have to look. I think maybe Mags made a double shot appearance as well. The other email we'll feature here this week comes from Steve, no hometown listed. He says, I love your show. I listen on my iPod at work. It makes the day go by much easier. I am a Keelian in the way I see the paranormal. It is a shame you never had the chance to interview John Keel. I think he had a good grasp on the paranormal experience. I think you asked for some ideas about a debate episode. How about Stan Friedman versus Barth Sibrell? Or Lauren Coleman versus Gian Cassar? Anyway, keep up the great work and thanks for the show. Steve. A couple of points here to respond to. I think I might have mentioned this on a previous edition of the show or during an appearance on a different program, but John Keel was definitely on the to-do list for BOA Audio, and around the end of 2008, I believe, I was trying to get a hold of John Keel, sort of working the angles to make that interview happen, but at that point, his health had deteriorated to the point that it just was not going to be a possibility, and of course, he passed away about six months later. Truly a shame, definitely a legend, somebody I wish I had the chance to speak to, and you know, there's not much more to say about it than that. It's just one of those conversations that we'll never get a chance to hear and one that slipped through the fingers of BOA Audio, but gave us pause to remember that there are a lot of great legendary folks out there that we haven't had the chance to speak to that we better track down as the show progresses here into the future. Secondly, with regards to the debate episode, that's an old request. I'm surprised that somebody still remembers that. I think I made that request back in Season 3 or 4. And I like your suggestions, Stan Friedman versus Bart Sabrell or Lauren Coleman versus Gian Cassar. I'll definitely keep them in mind. I'm kind of thinking lately, though, an exopolitics debate would be really interesting. I'm trying to figure out exactly who'd be the best folks for that. So that covers the two big points here of Steve's email. Thanks for writing in, Steve. Much appreciated. Thank you for the debate suggestions. Let's open this up once again to the BOA Audio listeners. What kind of debates do you want to hear on the program? I'm not talking contentious debates. I'd prefer to have two thoughtful, interesting people with divergent points of view. Less a debate, really, than more a conversation where we try to come to some kind of common ground. But nonetheless... Throw me your ideas. Let me know what you think. Who would you like to hear debate or have a meeting of the minds, if you will, on the program? I mean, I've considered ideas sort of like a Stan Friedman-Jim Mars tandem conversation. I mean, that would be kind of cool, too, to take two folks who are from two very different realms and bring them together and see what kind of conversation comes from that. So that might be another idea for a future edition of the program, Odd Couples. So throw me your ideas, folks. I'd definitely love to hear them. And that's a great segue to the contact information. If you want to be a part of future editions of BOA Audio Listener Feedback, here are the ways to get in touch with me. You can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com or go to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com and click the contact button. That'll put you on the road to getting in touch with me. And, of course, the final way is to join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com, BOA's Paranormal Playground. Lots of great folks on there talking about the latest editions of BOA Audio, as well as esoterica in general and pop culture and sports. Theusofe.com, check it out, join in on the conversations. 
And, of course, I'm on all the different social networking sites, Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. So befriend me, follow me, poke me. It's all good. I'd love to hear from you folks out there on the different social networking sites. Any of those avenues will allow you to contact me with your thoughts and feedback on BOA Audio as well as Banal of America. So shoot me a line and let me know what's on your mind. Up next, of course, it is the thanks portion of the show. Allow me to roll through the list of the esteemed and infamous BOA staff. Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, our contributing cartoonist Andy Carolin, and our webmaster Jeremy Boston. Lots of cool new articles posted at BOA from the awesome BOA staff. Richard Thomas has a text interview with Keith Chester, author of Strange Company, Military Encounters with UFOs in World War II, deals with Foo Fighters and a whole bunch of other pre-Roswell UFO events. We got a new piece from Regan Lee titled Change the Name, Change the Perception, and Change the Effect. It delves into the technique of changing the name of something to change the perception. Very cerebral edition of Regan Lee's Trickster's Realm. You definitely want to check that out as well. And finally, Leslie's Gray Matters just posted a few days ago. Angel Hair from the Sky talks about a classic UFO case that has some connections possibly to the chemtrail mystery. Fantastic find from Leslie and definitely one that will have you thinking about what's going on up in the sky. So those are three new pieces from the staff at BOA. Plus we got a slew of other stuff in the pipeline coming at you here as we close the book on 2010. We say it week in and week out, but it is the truth, my friends. If you're only listening to BOA audio and you're not reading the columns at Been All of America, then you're only getting half of the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Well, here we are at episode three of season six, and I think it's safe to start asking once again for donations. Part of the reason why I say that is because in the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing a two-hour interview with a guest who is in Italy. You're also going to be hearing an hour-long conversation with someone in the UK and another hour-long conversation with someone else in the UK. So the international calls have begun, and the bills in turn will soon start piling up. Plus, it's the holiday season, so if you want to help us out and, you know, throw a little change in the bucket. I'm not ringing the bell, but we do have a bucket, so if you could help us out, that would be great. How do you make a donation? That's simple. You go to banalofamerica.com. There's a PayPal button right there on the homepage. You click that. That'll take you to PayPal. They'll walk you through the process. It is safe and secure. But maybe you don't trust the Internet and you want to donate via snail mail. That's perfectly fine, and we have a way for you to do that. You can write to Tim Benall, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass, 01866, and you spell Pinehurst, P-I-N-E-H-U-R-S-T, and of course you can find all that information at the BOA website, but once again it is Tim Benall, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass, 01866, Two things of note, if you're going to mail us a donation to the Snail Mail P.O. Box, first of all, include your email address so I can shoot you a line and thank you for the donation. The other part is, if you're going to mail us a check, please make it payable to Tim Benall, T-I-M-B-I-N-N-A-L-L, and not to Benall of America. 
As noted last week, we get some flack from the folks at the bank since we don't have a Banal of America bank account. They don't want to cash those checks. They won't cash those checks, and I have to get in touch with the donors and try and get it straightened out and get new donations sent to me to the proper salutation, I guess you could say. So make your donations to Tim Banal and not Banal of America. That would save you and me from a definite series of headaches, hassles, and uh, pains in the butt. So there you go. Those are the two means to donate, PayPal as well as the P.O. Box. And as we say here at the end of the program all the time, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards keeping Banal of America and BOA Audio up and running, commercial-free, and freely available for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Next week on the program, it's really more like in a few short days, you're going to be able to get your hands on the 6th annual BOA Audio holiday special featuring the father of modern-day ufology, Stanton Friedman. There's not too much for me to say about this one. I haven't sat down and edited it yet, but I will be doing so tomorrow night. The great part about this one is we continue the annual tradition that we started a couple years ago featuring questions from BOA Audio listeners for Stanton Friedman. And interestingly enough, this year we got really some thought-provoking questions and some cool questions from not just listeners, but also former BOA Audio guests. Greg Bishop, Jason Offit, and Keith Chester had questions for Stan. Those are included, of course, in the interview, alongside all the questions from BOA Audio listeners. In total, I think we featured 18 questions from various BOA Audio listeners, and everybody who submitted a question had theirs asked. And, of course, we deal with other stuff during the conversation as well. So it's a jam-packed interview with the father of modern-day ufology. It is the holiday tradition like no other, the BOA Audio Holiday Special, 6th Annual. Do you believe it? I'm just stunned when I think about it. Six years of holiday specials with the amazing Stanton Friedman. And on that note, we close the book on another edition of BOA Audio. Once again, big, big thanks to Bix Weir for coming on the show. Thanks to Sean and Steve for their emails and listener feedback. And as always, a heartfelt thanks to all you folks out there. Your support of BOA and BOA Audio does not go unnoticed. You guys are awesome. Thank you for your support of the program, and thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Banal, thanking you for listening and signing off.